Hi, I'm Mia. And I'm Alex. And this is the Leftist Podcast. Alright guys, welcome back to the Leftist Podcast. So this is our third episode. And with this episode, we are coming with some real institutionalized change here. And we are changing our format from a weekly news type of deal to more of a broader idea, kind of speaking more on general socialist topics, because we just felt that we didn't want to be another cog in the media machine. We wanted to actually be spreading awareness of things that we're actually interested in and have like a good conversation about them. Yes, and that'll allow us to dive a little bit deeper into like leftist ideals instead of just reading off the news. Yeah, I just feel like we were... I don't know. It's just not us. It's not us. <laughs> like, I don't work for CNN. Like, this, yeah. is, not, this is not This us. is the authentic Mia and Alex. True AF. <laughs> All right. So today's episode, we're going to be discussing kind of the beginnings and goings-ons. Going-ons? Going-ons. Ongoings. Ongoings. <laughs> so for today's episode, we're going to be talking about the beginnings and the ongoing of bigotry and capitalism. So this is a notion that I'm sure you've heard a lot of people talk about because, you know, it's just such a prevalent thing in our society. And when one thing is wrong, a lot of people go and blame it on bigotry. Sometimes it's not correct, but a lot of the times it is just because it's so intertwined in our capitalist system. And we kind of want to touch on three main minority groups. So we want to touch on I guess not three main minority groups, but just people who are not in the majority. So we're going to be talking about uh, black and brown people and how and the origins of how they were subjugated to a lower class. We're going to be talking about women and how they were seen as less than men uh, through capitalism. And then we're going to talk about LGBTQ individuals and how capitalism has tormented them in some interesting ways. Yeah, so let's hop on into it. All right, so we're going to start off kind of getting into the origins of racism in America. So this might sound boring, but trust me, it makes sense once you hear a little bit about it. So basically, racism did not just come from this idea of, oh, you're white and I'm black. Uh, I don't like you because you're a certain color. It came from a notion ingrained into low-wage European settlers coming in from Europe to the new colonies in America. And these elite plantation owners would ingrain in their brains that, well, even though you're low-wage workers working on a plantation, for instance, at least you're not an African slave earning no money. And And they ingrain this in their brains because they didn't want people of the same class to come together and overthrow them. And this is the main function of capitalism in that you want to keep working class individuals kind of sheltered away and not come together and realize that together they work as a force and they can overpower the elites. They wanted to keep them in their place because the elites were making all the money, like a ton of money from cash crops, cotton, tobacco, all these sort of things. And they didn't want that system to be messed with. So in ingraining in their brains that, you know, at least you're a low-wage European worker, but at least you're not an African slave, This is where the origins of racism came about and how it's not just kind of a thing that exists, but it's actually a function of the beginnings of capitalism in America. Yeah, and that just kind of plays into the whole idea of capitalism being a competition and you have to be the winner 
to do anything good here. And if you're not winning, then there's like serious backlash. Yeah, exactly. In our system, in the country that we live in, we live under the false guise of a meritocracy in the sense that with hard work and picking up your bootstraps, you have the ability to kind of gain social mobility and move into a higher socioeconomic status when that's clearly not the case because of the bigotry that's been ingrained in our, in our society through the function of these capitalist systems. So when you look past the origins of slavery, when you look forward 400 years and Black people are no longer enslaved in America, you still see that there, there's still just not a connection between white and black working class individuals because of what's been ingrained into their brains since African slaves are being brought over to colonial America. The, this idea, and this is why we say that these ideas of racism and capitalism affect every institution because the notion of our country was built on the idea that slavery was okay and that having African slaves was okay. And even maybe enslaving the native people in America. It, it's just not just the idea that we thought this was okay and this is the function or this is the system that we still live under and the fruits of our labor have come from work of unpaid or poorly paid individuals is kind of morally abhorrent and I'm just not okay living in a society where this is where we build ourselves up with and we're just not comfortable moving past this idea of a capitalistic society. Yeah, and I want to go back to your point about black and white laborers not being, uh, not seeing each other as equal, because that really shows the role that intersectionality plays within capitalism and someone's experience under it. Uh, because all of these different identities that you have move you just lower and lower on the power system. And like, you need to be a, like a straight white man to have like power here, mostly. Uh, but then if you're like, a black trans disabled woman that is like four things knocking you down further back on the power spectrum there's a saying that people say to get workers mobilized that the poor black man has much more in common with the poor white man than he would have with the rich black man and this is where race kind of takes a sidestep to class in america because if you are the same race as someone then you kind of share that same lived history as them, but if you are in the same class as them, you're living the exact same present as them. You are living in a system where you're constantly being told that you need to be productive laborer, you're pushed to work for low wages, you might not have gone to college, you might be stuck working in an Amazon facility where you're forced to pee in bottles, uh, all this kind of stuff. And the idea that this is okay in America, so many individuals that work minimum wage jobs are either black, brown, or women, is, is pretty horrible because they weren't, historically, they weren't afforded the same rights as uh, cis white men were, cis white land, cis white landowning men, to be specific. And they just did not have the same social mobility back then. So when you look through generations, you see that this, although these things may have happened maybe 100 years ago, 400 years ago, they still greatly affect our society today. You know, I, I heard something really profound one time. And I don't remember her name, but it was like a TikTok or something. And she was talking about how, imagine you're playing Monopoly with someone for 400 years and every time you took all of their money from them. And then once you get back to the board, after 400 years, you start from zero and they start with all of your money that you made for them. It's just like, it's the simplest way to explain it. And it's not a perfect comparison, but it just really outlined the sense that 
even though they were functional members of society and they weren't pushed to this lower class, they still are extremely disenfranchised in the sense that a black individual may have been subjected subject to redlining in the 80s or the 70s, and they weren't able to move out of a certain neighborhood, and they were stuck in that neighborhood for generations and generations, weren't able to go to college, something like that. And it's just, it, every, every function of our capitalist society just shows how institutional and systematic this racism is, and how you can't really get rid of it by just reforming. You need to go deep into the into the groundworks of our institutions and say, this is where we need to rid this of that. And we need to do this now or else it won't function properly. Exactly, because the root of capitalism, like it can't function without the subjugation of minorities. That's how it keeps going. That's how the winners keep winning because there's there has to be a loser. And here with the system we have, the losers are women, black and brown people, queer people, et cetera. Yeah, in the sense that you know, when you look at today and you look at the working class, you see a pretty good mixture of every ethnicity and race. But you have to imagine that the people, like let's take a white individual, for example. Let's take a poor white individual. Let's say that their family didn't have a lot of money growing up. They weren't afforded the privilege of going to college and they have to work at like a coal mine, for example. Now you take a black individual from the same family and they, he followed the same suit. They worked the exact same job. You have to look at the historical background to why they're both in that place. With the white individual, you know, it could be a new, uh, numerous amounts of things. Yes, any any wage earner in capitalism and not a CEO or something like that is going to be subjugated to wage theft and is not going to be earning the the fruits of their labor. But when you look at the black individual, you look at hundreds of years of disenfranchisement and how you know you can only wonder how their how their family could be succeeding succeeding now and they were just were not afforded that right to because of what's been put in place in america even after slavery was abolished like it's just it's horrible how many things go unchecked because you 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 see the abolishment of slavery and then you see another system coming about when the mass incarceration system and how that just works to subjugate black and brown individuals to a lower class through legal means. Yes, and then taking away their right to vote, making it harder to find housing and jobs and all of these things. It's just it's just a new form yeah. that it's taking. Because one of the biggest institutions in America is the prison system. We have, I think, what is it, 25% of the, the world's incarcerated people in one country. I don't know what percent of the world we make up, but I know it's less than 25%, <laughs> yeah. not an even struggle. <laughs> And, you know, you see a lot of these individuals are minorities or and you and you realize, you know, th these crimes are being committed on the same rate. When you look at drug crime, white, white, black, brown, whatever you are, everyone uses drugs on pretty much the same, pretty much the same level. There's no one race that uses drugs more than the other. Yet you see so many more black individuals being ripped from their communities and their families because they're found with some weed and they're uh, now a convicted felon. And then under the 13th Amendment, while it did abolish slavery, slavery is still legal in a sense where if a person is imprisoned, you can still use their labor uh, for an extremely low or free cost. And that's completely legal and it's in our constitution. And you just, you, you see how these 
these systems tear apart individuals. And you see how the police state and mass incarceration is nothing but to push capitalism up. And it's even even when you look at minorities, I guess not minorities, but when you look at people of color outside of America, you look at the Middle East. I mean, a huge part of our a huge part of our economy is also our military industrial complex and how much money we fund companies like Raytheon, uh, you know, any other one? Rocky Martin, all this kind of stuff. And you you see so many people of color in the Middle East just losing their lives over meaningless wars like in Afghanistan or Iraq. Like it's just it's it's kind of unnerving. Yeah. And that's also another huge issue with the military industrial complex is that um, recruiters are going to high schools um, and preying on all these low income kids who maybe like can't go to college or just, you know, don't know what they're doing next. They recruit them and bring them there, especially in like lower income school districts as well. They're preying on them to bring them into the war. Yeah. They're just trying to find more individuals that will trade their quite literally in some cases their life in order to have some social mobility in America. And then once they retire, they have, you know, they have free healthcare, but that healthcare is severely underfunded and is not nearly as good as it was promised to be. And they might come back with PTSD. They might need to go to therapy. They might need to see a psychiatrist. And the, the function, the function of the military industrial complex is real has no other function except for making politicians and defense contractors rich. This is the only function of it. And we often turn a blind eye to it because both Democrats and Republicans usually unanimously, or not unanimously, but bipartisanly vote on defense bills Mm -hmm. with no scrutiny, little to no scrutiny from people on either side. And it's just kind of a moral, you can see kind of the moral decay in our society from us kind of being brought up living in these wars. And that's why I was, I don't want to get off topic, but that's why it was a good thing we got out of Afghanistan finally, uh, you know, stuff like that. Like we don't need to be involved in other countries doing their own thing when in America, we still have uh, millions impoverished, millions of individuals yes. who are food insecure. It's just, it's it's horrible. Yeah, there are a lot of issues on our own soil that we could be directing this money and all this time and energy to, but instead- we're going to some meaningless like 20 year long war um, in a foreign country that we just, we don't need to be there. There's enough issues here that we can fix. Yeah. And in an effort to get back on topic from (laughs) from wars, uh, I kind of want to talk about, I think you, you are going to talk about actually um, how women have been pushed to this lower class under capitalism. Yes. So back to my original point uh, with capitalism, Um, being able to function off the subjugation of minorities, that also is true with the patriarchy. They really go hand in hand in that way, that someone has to be on top, someone has to be on the bottom in that section, and we can't really have one without the other. We can't get rid of one without getting rid of the other. Um, And women oftentimes face the brunt of this. Um, They are, you know, there's the gender pay gap. Women are making about 82 cents to a man's dollar. Um, And that's because they get stuck in this statistical cycle um, where women are most likely when they're hired places, they're going to be the ones going on maternity leave if they were to get pregnant, Um, maybe taking care of a sick relative or just other things that they might need time off for. That's like a a risk factor 
per se when hiring women. So employers can use that as a reason to pay them less. And then say you are in like a heterosexual couple or relationship, you're having a kid, you need to take time off. Um, from an economic standpoint, it would just make more sense to have the person who is bringing in more money um, to continue to work and the person bringing in less stay home and take care of the kid. And because of this cycle, it's going to be the woman most likely because she's already making less money because of these factors. And the cycle just continues over and over again. Yeah, exactly. And I want to hit in on the point of when you discuss maternity leave and things like that with your job, uh, we're, I believe, the only or one of the only OECD nations who do not afford a specific amount of maternity maternity leave to or paternity leave to new parents on a federal level. Yeah. Um, it can be by company. They kind of just decide what they want to do. But if you're a minimum wage worker um, that has been disenfranchised their whole life, you kind of have no option to take paid time off of work that you should be afforded to to spend time with your child. And this is kind of seen hand in hand in the idea that we just kind of want to have, I mean, historically, white landowning men have ruled this country. And I don't think they want to see that being changed. And with women coming so hard, when they came so hard into the workforce, when, like, when you saw with in World War II, like, Rosie the Riveter and stuff like yeah. that, kind of empowering women to uh, work and kind of get into, kind of take the place of their husbands that were fighting the war. Yeah, because that, that was the thing, is that it was, like, a last-ditch effort, because they needed to replace all these laborers that they sent overseas or that were dead because of the war, they needed to replace them. So women, well, finally, you can come and work now because we need to make up all this ground. Yeah, and the idea of the right that they're being afforded is you can finally go work. Like, you can finally go and make us money. We're going to give you such a meaningful amount of money that came from the labor, that that came from your labor, and we're going to take all of the, nearly all of the profits, and, oh, but you get to work now. So we're kind of uplifting women in this sense when really we're just kind of pushing them into a space where they're another cog in the capitalist function. And while obviously both men and women, they non-binary people should be able to do whatever they want and work. I'm not saying this as a don't let women work thing, obviously. I hope not. <laughs> I'm saying this as a that was their reward. Yeah. Like it's kind of horrible to think about that being a reward. Oh, you can be a, a low-income wage earner now yeah thankfully and women also just didn't have much wiggle room for it they got pushed into pink collar jobs that were like um secretaries flight attendants nurses like all these things those were women's fields and you had to stick within that field and find jobs so it's not even like they could go do something like extravagant that they wanted to they were just filling in these smaller positions because that's what women could handle yeah and i think if you look at today's statistics i want to say the majority of minimum wage workers are women from 30 to 40 i think i don't don't quote me on that but i know for a fact that the majority of weight minimum wage earners in this country are women and i think that this also comes from them being disenfranchised you know not until like 1920 where they even afforded the right to vote i mean let alone earn a living wage and have social mobility and move up in this country. And that, like you said, come the capitalism and the patriarchy are intertwined in the sense that you have this big, strong man who makes a bunch of money and you never have to go to work or whatever. But realistically, some people do want to work. Some people want to 
uh, supports society. And I think it's good. Everyone should work. I think that a good society only functions when every member of it is working, or at least most members are working. And if we're living in a society where everyone is working, but they're earning such menial wages, that just like disincentivizes them from trying to function in our capitalistic society. And I think our, our economy will be the downfall of our country because a lot of people today, at least people around our age, I'd like to think, are kind of coming to see the light and how capitalism is horrible. And I mean, we were born into uh, 9-11 we saw the 2008 financial crisis and how banks were lending in a predatory manner uh, and how our parents couldn't afford to put food on the table. Uh, um, we saw COVID. I mean, everyone saw COVID, <laughs> but we saw COVID as college individuals already probably making little to no money, now not, not being able to work um, and our economy just kind of being in shambles because capitalism can't really function under uh, a global pandemic. It's just not built into society. When you're sick, a lot of people just tell you still go to work. But when it's mandated that if you're sick, you can't go to work, we're kind of screwed. Yeah, then there's really nowhere to go. Um, and through um, women trying to seek like um, economic equality, um, there was a nice branch of like, through women trying to seek economic equality, there was a large branch of liberal feminism that came out with the whole like, you know, girl boss, CEO, like <laughs> all that kind of stuff. And that just really like uh, reiterates the point that you have to be making like big dollars and you have to be the winner to be successful here. And that's, we're still not equal. Like just cause you're the CEO, like you're probably making less than a man would in your position. And like, not that it's bad, you know, go crazy if you want to be a, a CEO and a girl boss, but like that is not the the pinnacle of equality. And we can't have that without getting rid of like a patriarchal and capitalistic, like the systems that we live in there because they function with one another, like so entwinedly. Yeah, and when you look at trying to reach uh, a country where every single individual is equal, regardless of gender, race, et cetera, you need to look into instilling programs that function on the basis of equity. And for those of you who don't know what equity is, I'm sure you do know what equity is, but for my own satisfaction, you might say, uh, equity is basically not giving everyone the exact same thing, but giving everyone the necessary things for each of them to get to the same point. So, Let's say you have an individual who came from a really rich family who can easily pay for college, but you have an individual from a very poor family who can't pay for college, but uh, still would like to go to college. An example of equity would be him getting Pell Grants so that he could pay to go to college, um, if that makes sense. Basically, a right that was afforded to someone by birth is now being given to someone so that they can reach the same point and have social mobility in america exactly so then they can be at like the same point and not just one person getting a um, college education and the other person having to just immediately go into the labor force like he um might have like originally been subjected to without the pell grant yeah and another huge issue um within capitalism is capitalists uh and companies preying on minorities 
um, with their products. Like we see it every single year with Pride Month, every single June, every store has um, all their Pride merch with rainbows and pronouns slapped on every anything they can. Um, and then once July hits, everyone's Twitter icon goes back to normal. All the um, Pride clothing or um, products go on clearance and they just get rid of it. And we also see it with like gay cruises and like all these things, it's just them preying on this group of people who they don't normally um, really like accept that aren't like, you know, the normal, um, the normal preset of things you maybe should be. Yeah. And I think that this just comes from a capitalist notion where you want to, in a free market, in a sense, the incentive is that you need to build the most capital in the most efficient way possible. And during June, during Pride Month, the most efficient way possible is to kind of exploit your your acceptance, I guess. Yeah, your allyship. Yeah, your allyship <laughs> and kind of just profit off of individuals buying your specific collection because it is Pride Month. And while that might be empowering to some people on a on a systematic level, you're just seeing more people fall victim to capitalism under the guise of trying to create a social right, I guess, trying to right the wrongs from the past when it's just, you you still don't see any, I mean, you see precedents like Roe v. Wade being overturned and in the decision, you see things like, you see cases like Obergefell being mentioned and people start to worry, like LGBTQ people start to worry, like, am I not gonna be able to marry like the love of my life? Like, yeah. this is like, and the idea that we have pride collections, but also have the highest court in the land talking about, you know, these might be next on the chopping block is really dangerous and is really scary for, I mean, it should be scary to every single American because yeah. if they can, they're, they're not going to stop with taking rights away from minorities. They're going to work and because realistically, minorities are not seen in the same way that they were once. Minorities... When you look at it on a on our on the level of our whole country, you see the one percent, and you see the other ninety nine percent. And in my view of our country, the ninety nine percent is the minority, and the one percent is the majority. Even though statistically speaking, that's incorrect. When you talk about how much money and how much capital they own, yeah, it's it's correct. Really? So yeah, it, it's just really it, it's really disappointing to see our country being in this kind of place where people are just kind of okay with all this stuff. Like, you know, there's things like affirmative action to kind of get minorities into places that they would not have been able to get into because of the disenfranchisement that they have had over the years in our country. But even then you hear so many people complain about it. And it's like, listen, I know it might not affect you on a personal level. Like you'll hear so many anecdotes like, oh, this and that, but like, on, a, on the basis of our whole country, and I know our country is very big, but our entire country, these things need to be put into place for restitution in order to get these individuals who were disenfranchised, you know, into a place where they can kind of move out of their place and they're not in a static socioeconomic status. They need the ability to move up because in a society, if you can't move up, then what's the point? Yeah. Like I mentioned earlier, we live on the basis of a meritocracy, but if you pick up your bootstraps and you 
if you pick up your bootstraps and go to work and try and move up to this higher level, you're never, ever, ever going to reach the, the point of the 1%. Like realistically, at this point in capitalism, they, you would have to like, you would have to like invent a planet. To like, <laughs> be at that level. like it's, it's really just horrible. Like, and I know we're kind of straying away from the idea of bigotry and capitalism, but it's hard not to stray away from it because every single one of our institutions was built on the idea that one class is lower than the other one. Exactly. And the disenfranchisement of LGBTQ people is very prevalent in capitalism because obviously um, queer people shake up the notion of like this nuclear family unit uh, that capitalists love so dearly. Um, but there's like this um, sense of like selective normalization uh, with queer people where if you can still contribute to uh, capitalism, you can still be like this family unit. It's okay if you're like a man and a man or a woman and a woman, whatever you might be, as long as, you know, there's still the breadwinner, one person stays home with the kids, you breed workers and they go out and work eventually. Like as long as you're still contributing to these like building blocks of capitalism, then it, I guess it's kind of your queer is yeah. basically it and this is like another building block of our institution where you know you would think because we are so pro-capitalism and so building the economy we would do th we would allow things like this but in some cases you see when you see a lot of people on the right uh being extremely bigoted and talking bad on lgbtq people this is the way that they gain capital the way that they function in capitalism they function in capitalism by kind of tending to a certain ideology and getting elected and getting money from donors, uh, making defense contractors happy, stuff like that. Another example where you see this, uh, let's take the border wall, for example. The border wall makes absolutely zero economic <laughs> sense. It costs so much money. You know, since, since the beginning of our country, we've had Mexican immigrants coming in and working for us at a much lower cost. I mean, economically, I mean, obviously abhorrent to kind of uh, to have these low wage workers coming in from another country. But economically, if you're really like a staunch free market Republican, you you like the idea of having people coming into our country. Exactly. Like there, there's like a libertarian think tank. I don't know the exact paper. I just. I just know that it was like a libertarian group that released it. And they were like, do it like having open borders would be good for our economy. Yeah. And the idea that there's so many different things that function in capitalism in the sense that, you know, even though one thing might be good for the economy, but you can't say that if you are a conservative politician, because that puts you in the lower class because you get unelected or you get you lose your next election you don't get any donor money you don't get to get money from any bills that you sign off of kind of pushing up your sponsors in a certain way kind of letting them off the hook giving them tax breaks this is just the way that individuals find that they can function in capitalism even if it is not being a huge staunch supporter of capitalism in every right yeah exactly exactly and that um that same idea is just so prevalent in everything we've talked about and just so many other things that we haven't talked about like that is just the building blocks of our nation and the systems we live in and all of that yeah it's something that you can never really forget yeah like and and when you see you see individuals upset about this and a lot of people just kind of cast them off to the side but 
you know, when you take the, when you take black people, for example, after they were, after slavery was abolished, it was, and there was a notion that all black individuals would get, what, what was it, 40 acres and a mule. That's mm-hmm. like the, that's like the historical thing that they would say, because they were just trying to put them at the same socio, they were trying to put them at the same playing field. This is, you're seeing a form of equity, basically. Yes, exactly. But this never happened. The, the, that 40 acres and a mule went to their, to the landowners, to the plantation owners, to the rich white elite. And we see these things happening today where even, even the idea of paying reparations, not even individually to black people, but into minor, uh, majority minority like communities is like, if you mention that in the presence of like a Republican, they will lose their minds yeah. because they're like, I worked hard my whole life. Like, yeah. I don't care. Good like, things just can't happen to other people. Like if yeah. you're if you're white, you already kind of you're you're not living on easy mode, but you're living on easier mode. Yeah. It just goes back to um intersectionality. Like that is just one of the traits that moves you up on the power system. Like being white moves you up, being a man moves you up. Humans are also just so weird. Yeah, like it just doesn't make any fucking no. sense. I've been doing research and reading for this, and it just doesn't make any fucking sense out here. No, it's stupid. It's literally <laughs> like we we are gonna go extinct. Yeah, it's gonna be our own fault because yeah. our planet's gonna burn. Yeah, not I, I'm not advocating for that. Yeah, I'm just saying <laughs> global warming is is imminent. Yes, it's definitely coming. And yeah. So on that note, yeah, on happy note, I think this is the end of the episode. I would say, I think so. Yeah. Well, I I will say I much more thoroughly enjoyed having this conversation than I did chilling the news. Yes, it's been a it's been a lot more fun, a lot more organic conversation, and I didn't need to look at any bullet points. No, I didn't have to study for a test or anything. Exactly, exactly. We're just chit chatting. True, true. I hope you guys gained some valuable information from this uh if you have any questions for us or have anything you want us to talk about next week uh we're on tiktok instagram and twitter in our uh, spotify bio you can find the little link to get to all of our socials uh, you'll see us all over the place so yeah we're spreading yeah we're spreading like <laughs> we're spreading like wildfire yeah i'll come one again well, on that note, <laughs> uh, thank you for tuning in. I'm Alex. And I'm Mia. And this has been the Leftist Podcast. That's lame. That's fun. <laughs>